First, uh, First Samuel chapter thirty. If you have your scriptures, First Samuel thirty. First Samuel thirty. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to apologize. Uh, you forgive me, thank you. you. Well, you you don't even know what I'm apologizing for yet. You gotta you gotta you gotta wait. I'm apologize for for breaking traditions. Okay, I think I am the first preacher up here on a Sunday morning to be wearing jeans. Okay, I know these look like pants, but these are actually jeans. All right. To make it even better, these are not my jeans. These are Trey's jeans. Okay. <laughs> There's a little story behind that, all right? And our uh, desire to get out pretty early before the storm, we, I forgot my, my slacks. <laughs> so uh, I went scrambling last night. I was like, John, can I borrow? John, you got, uh, you got like size 32, 32? And you know John don't have that. So uh, <laughs> he had a 35, though. He had a 35. He fits in a 30. You have some of that? All right. But uh, so I had these nice pair of tan pants that John had given me, but the bottoms, they were like, Bell bottoms. They were just really long. I'm like, I can't do that. So literally, I was like, I think I'm going to just wear my, my sweatpants and my collar, like a, just a you know, polo shirt. But I said, I can't do that. And I was like, Amy, you guys have, like, does Trey have jeans or Trey has something? And so I got Trey's jeans. And the cool thing, they're a Nietzsche. That's like name brand, right? If you, if you wear Nietzsche jeans, you're like, you're cool. So I'm wearing some very tight Nietzsche uh, <laughs> uh, Trey, Trey jeans. So. But uh, my wife likes them, so I guess that. That's... Anyways, uh, <laughs> yesterday was good. We came up. We uh, were able to do some sledding with the kids at John and, uh, John and James. I'm also used to saying John and James. John and Amy's place. Uh, and it was fun um, just to kind of go down the hill with those kids. It actually reminded me of my time growing up in this, the Bronx. When I was a little kid, we, I remember this one time. We took, someone had, I don't know if it was someone stole this. Or if it was just in the, it was just in this abandoned lot. But we had a, the the hood of a fr- of a car, and we used that as a sled to go down the mountain. So it works. It was fun. So I remember that was like it brought me back to those days of the South Bronx and sledding down. Uh, my family's here. They're well, I guess they're um, they're in the nursery and the class, uh, the Sunday school class. But um, I was gonna make a I was gonna make a a joke that my I have an announcement. That my wife is not pregnant. Yeah, but here that's not like a joke because you guys all have a lot of kids. But other churches and at every, you know, we we're like the we're like you know the, the John of of every other church um, having so many so many kids. But um, again, that joke doesn't fly here at, at this church because you guys know why. All right, so so Jeremiah uh, again, he's not here, but Jeremiah, he's our he's our oldest, and he he's competitive. I was telling uh, John this. He just always wants to race me and everything. Like he's like, I'll race you with this. I'm gonna beat you. When I get 31 years old, I'm gonna beat you. Like I'm, and everything is like a competition. I'm like, where does he get that from? Where does he get that from? Ed knows he gets it from me, and whoever knows me, know, they know that. Our little, our other daughter, Eliana, she's our, our oldest daughter. She, uh, she's doing ballet now, and so I don't do YMCA. I mean, but uh, it's, it's funny just to, to, to go there and, and see her come back home and do all the stuff. Um, and then Philip. We always we're always looking for Philip. We're like, where's Philip at? And Philip's like, we'll find Philip in his bed, or he'll be somewhere in a corner, just looking at a book. Like he just always loves to look at books. He doesn't know how to read. He's only he's only two, but he's just he's just always looking at books. And we're like, okay, maybe he's gonna be maybe he's gonna be smart. Maybe he'll be like Marilette when he when he gets older. And then Sailor's our youngest. I don't know if you, for those that have youngest, are they usually feisty? The younger ones, 
It seems like no. I don't know. Oh, let, she's a little. She's a little feisty. She, you know, she. She'll make. She, you know, when she wants to make her presence known, she'll make her presence known. She's actually been our toughest baby. The first three, they slept through the night. Sailor just what slept through the night. I think like last week, and she's a year already. So, um, yeah, for a whole year we haven't slept through the night. Um, so, but hey, it is what it is. And then my wife, I think she should drop the kids off. Um, one of the things I was just thinking about this morning that I appreciate about her is, you know, not not too many people know this about her. Some of some of some of those that are close to us um, know this that she loves um, to pray for celebrities. And uh, when I first met her, I'm like, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. Um, but just her heart, she sees the brokenness that a lot of the values come out of, you know, pop culture that can even come out of Hollywood. And for her, it's really a passion for her to pray for celebrities and to go before the Lord and to say, God, could you do a work in their hearts? And so that's something that she really has a passion for. Um, so, yeah, again, good to be here. Good to be breaking, tra- breaking traditions by wearing jeans, um, Trey's jeans. And uh, it's good to, um, to be with the saints. This morning, my talk's going to be a little different. Um, normally, when I come to a church, I, it depends, but I love to take a passage and kind of just expound upon that passage. Um, today's going to be probably a little bit more topical. just want to kind of give you a feel, be a little bit more topical, and really coming from where, where God is kind of doing a work in my life these last couple of months. And so if you have your scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 30, um, we're going to read the first six verses, and then we'll pray. Verse 1 says, Now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the... Can someone pronounce that word? Negeb? And against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahona of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David, verse 6 says, And David was greatly distressed for the people who spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you again for the opportunity to, to open up your word this morning, uh, for, your, for the opportunity to, to read several uh, passages, God, and just to reflect on, on these, these, these passages, Lord. God, thank you for this church. Um, the saints here, the leadership here, God, and, and just their um, desire to see this church uh, be sound biblically, Lord, and to see their, the saints here um, have a, just a deeper knowledge of you, um, but not just to have the knowledge for knowledge's sake, but to also look more like you. Um, God, thank you for the, the series that you've had them in with regarding the role of the Holy Spirit, um, and just that it's, it's not just a force, it's a person. And God, just uh, the things that you're doing in this church. God, I pray that the words that um, you've placed on my heart this morning just would encourage, would edify, would challenge where challenge is, um, is needed, would convict, would inspire. Uh, but more importantly, God, would point people to you. Um, God, it's always 
more of you and less of, of me, more of you, less of us, um, as John often, as John said in his, um, his gospel, God, you must increase and uh, we must decrease, I must decrease, Lord. And so I got to pray that will be the case this morning. I pray this in your son's name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a couple uh, weeks ago, probably about maybe a month and a half ago, um, I went to a coffee shop, and uh, normally I, I ask four questions to, um, to the people that I coach, the people that I lead, um, and they're like, I guess they're like trainer questions, and so uh, I, I said, you know what, I've been asking people these questions, just to kind of gauge how they're doing. I'm going to ask myself the questions, and so um, these are actually very helpful questions. The first question um, deals with vision. And so I ask people on a scale from 1 to 10, how would you rate your vision? And the, basically, is your vision remaining strong for the work you're doing? So on a scale from 1 to 10, how would you rate that? Is your vision remaining strong for the work you're doing? And I gave myself, I said, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to flip the script on myself, and I'm going to rate my own self. No one's doing this for me. Let me do it for myself. So I began, a, a, you know, I rated myself, and I was like, my vision feels strong for the, for the ministry that God has called me to um, in the inner cities of New York to work with the high school and middle school students. So I moved on to the next question, direction. And the question is, do you know where you're headed on a practical level? On a scale from 1 to 10, do you know where you're headed on a practical level? I gave myself a pretty decent score on that. I felt like I know where I was going on a, on a practical level as far as direction. The third question deals with feedback. And so on a scale from 1 to 10, are you receiving enough feedback from, from those you report to? And again, I gave myself a fairly decent. I feel like I'm getting enough feedback. I feel good. The last question encouragement. Are you staying encouraged in the battle? And as I asked that question, I knew right away the answer was no. I knew that I would rate myself a very, very low score there. For the last couple months, it's been, uh, it's been tough in the ministry. It's been discouraging at points, um, but it's also been helpful to, just to, to realize that, that things have been discouraging. And as I wrestled with that question and as I you know, journaled at that coffee shop, the Lord led me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 30. And here we see a situation where there was a raid, right? The Amalekites had made a raid against Negeb and Ziglag. They, they burned uh, Ziglag with fire. They took captive the, the women and the men, um, all who were in it, Right? And when David and his men arrive and they see what happened, what is their response? Let's look at uh, verse, uh, verse 5. Verse 4, sorry. It says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Think about the, the, the shared suffering of what's going on. The reality that their wives have been taken captive. Everyone has been taken captive. And the reality, you're not even sure if they're dead or alive. Like, think about that. Think about potentially those emotions. It's probably, you know, it would, it would hurt just as much if you knew they were dead. But if, if you knew something, you, you have no idea what's going on with them. Will you ever see them again? And so you think about the, the pain. You think about what they're, what they're dealing with. And the people were so, so upset. They were so bitter and so that they spoke of what? Of stoning David. Of stoning their leader. And what does the scripture say? The scripture says in verse... Six, at the very end, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And I'll touch on that in a little bit towards the end of our talk. But as I was led to this passage, 
And I began to kind of wrestle with just verse 6. That was really where I parked for a couple weeks. I began to look at the word distress. What does it mean to, to be distressed? And that's the question I asked myself. The word distressed, it actually means to, to press, to, to kind of be narrow. Um, that's the, you know, the Hebrew definition, to, to press, to be narrow. Um, if you look at an English modern definition, it's a state of extreme necessity or misfortune. I'll say that again. A state of extreme necessity or, or misfortune. Some, some other words you can use if you think of a spectrum. You can go from something as extreme as like agony. Think about agony or, or heartache or pain or even discomfort. So distress can kind of take into to account all those, those various words. All right? But again, biblically speaking, it means to press. It means to be narrow. To press to be narrow. And the, uh, it's funny, I don't know if you guys ever played Tomb Raider. For those that played Tomb Raiders, I know I'm only speaking to a few now. This is back in the day. But there was a, a scene in the game, and I would always have a hard time getting through this, this part of the game because there were these walls, right, that you had to kind of sprint through as they were kind of closing in and pressing in on you. And all these walls, there were like these big, like kind of, um, what do you call them? Spikes, yeah, spikes. That would pretty much crush you. I mean, it's a game, guys. It's not real life. All right. So, um, but as I was thinking about that's the image that came, came to my mind, this, this sense of walls closing in on you, to be pressed, to be, uh, to be narrowed. That's what this word distress speaks of. It means to, to be pressed, to be narrowed. And so I said, let me, let me just kind of do a little word study. Let's see where this word appears throughout Scripture. And I didn't do an exhaustive word study on it, but I looked at several passages where we see this word. And the first passage that we see this word is in Genesis chapter 32. So go ahead and turn over to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. This is the story when Jacob he meets Esau. Remember a little bit of their relationship? Uh, Esau sold his, uh, his birthright. Jacob stole the blessing. Um, and there was not, they didn't have the best, they were, Esau hated him. Esau wanted to, to harm him. And so Jacob's on the run, right? Jacob's on the run. And at this point in his story and in this, this uh, development, uh, Jacob hears that Esau wants to see him. Or, uh, now, we'll just read the passage, right? So Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 1, it says, Jacob went on his way and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brothers in the land of Sir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants, I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Why might he want to find favor in his sight? Again, they're not the best of, friend, the best of friends. Verse uh, 5, it says, 6, sorry. It says, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming near to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. All right, that detail is, there, is important. It's an important detail. All right. 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and what? Distressed. You guys say distressed. He was distressed that he divided the people who were with him 
and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then that camp that is left will escape. Alright, so he has a plan made up, right? Like, if this happens, I'm going to divide the camp into two, so if Esau attacks one, at least the other one can escape. Alright, so again, Esau doesn't have this, oh, my brother's coming, we're going to have a party, we're going to hang out, play NBA 2K18, or we're going to, you know, go fishing. No, he's, he's thinking, he's thinking the, the worst is going to happen. Alright? The worst is going to happen. We're going to come back to this story a little bit later. Alright? But that word distress, we see it again here in in, in Genesis 37, we saw it in 1 Samuel 30. Go over, go over to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Judges 2, verse 11, to get the entire context. It says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bells and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the bells and the Asheroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in what? Terrible distress. Terrible distress. Why were they in distress? Well, they, first of all, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served bells. They abandoned the Lord. They went after gods from among the people and bowed down. And if you actually look at this and you study this, this is a, you see a progression here, all right? This is for John and those that love alliteration, all right? I only have a, this is my only alliteration for this, for this morning, okay, guys? So forgive me. Um, the first thing is you see their actions. Their actions were they, they did evil, all right? Actions moves to attitudes, right? And their attitude is what? They serve. They began to serve these other gods, all right? So it goes from actions to attitudes. Can you guys say actions? You say attitudes, and it goes from attitude to abandonment, and they abandon the Lord their God. And if we actually look at the uh, the, uh, the the Mosaic Covenant in Deuteronomy, we got to look at it. But God made it very clear: if you serve me, and if you follow after me, there's going to be blessings, right? But if you don't, there's going to be consequence, right? And one of the consequences is I'm going to give you over to to other to other countries. That was a clear con- a consequence. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. It talks about the covenant blessings. It talks about the, the covenant curses. All right? And so they, they did evil. They had the, the actions, the attitude, abandonment. And as a result, the Lord, it says, it says he did all these things and they were in terrible distress. All right? They were in terrible distress. Let's go over and look over at Judges chapter 10. We'll see this word, word used again. We're going to look at this and then I'm going to make some points about these particular verses that we've read so far. Judges chapter 10. It says, Judges chapter 10, starting at verse, verse 9. All right? Verse 9 says, And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that 
Israel was what? Severely distressed. All right? Why did the Ammonites come again? Again, it goes back to disobedience. It goes back to because they had, an, they had actions and attitudes that led to abandonment. And as a result, there was judgment being, being placed on Israel. All right? And so as I, again, I, I looked at other verses in Job where we see the word distress, but for the sake of time, I, I want to just make three observations or three things that I've seen just looking at this word distress. All right? Looking at this word distress, which means to, to be pressed, to, to be narrowed, a, a state of, of, of extreme misfortune or necessity. You know, it goes from the sense of agony to hurt to pain. These are all words you can use to kind of capture this, this idea of distress. But here are three points I want to make regarding just a quick observation of this word. The first thing is that distress can come from others. Okay? The first thing is that distress can come from others. How do we see that in the scriptures? Well, in First Samuel chapter 30, why is David distressed? Why is David distressed? Say it again, brother. Took their wives, they took their, their, their kids, and not only that, his own people are what? Ready to stone him. So distress is coming from, from multiple people in, this, in, this, in that passage, right? We also see it in Genesis chapter 32 with Esau and Jacob, right? Why is Jacob distressed? Revenge, right? He's thinking revenge. He's thinking that Esau is coming to get him. And if you read the rest of it, it's an amazing, it's actually an amazing encounter. I remember the first time I read it, I think in high school, I was like, I cried. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is cool. The Bible has, this is cool, you know? So it can come from others. Distress can come from others, all right? But the second thing that we can see about distress, just looking at this word, is that distress can come from God. How so? Look back at Judges chapter 2, verse 15. What does it say? What does it say? Judges chapter 2, verse 15. It says, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them, as the Lord had warned, and the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Distress was coming from the hand of God because of their, their disobedience. The, the agony, the hurt, to be pressed, to be narrowed, a state of misfortune or necessity. Distress. Distress. The first thing is that distress can come from others. The second thing that is that distress can come from God. But the third thing that I want to see is that we also see this in Judges chapter 2, as well as Judges chapter 10, is that distress can be self-inflicted. All right? Distress can be self-inflicted. How so? Israel's sin. Israel's disobedience. That's what led them to that, to that state of being distressed, to that state of being sort of pressed and being narrowed, to that, that state of, of pain. It's, a, it's an unfortunate uh, situation. Distress. And so again, to review those three points, distress can come from others, distress can come from God, and then thirdly, distress can be self-inflicted. And so you guys are probably sitting here. I know I like to sit at church and I say, so big deal. What, is that? what does that mean to me? What does that mean for me today, you know, December 10th or 9th? 10th. All right, December 10th. What does that mean for me at sitting in the pew? There are a couple of applications that I want to kind of draw out in light of some of these passages. Uh, three of them will come straight um, from the passages that I see here, and then another one will come from a different passage. But um, the first one, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. All right? We understand the situation. David and his men, they come to this town that has been burned down. 
uh, they cry out so loud, they weep till they have no more strength. This is not a good situation. David's men are ready to stone him. The Bible says that he was greatly distressed. But then it ends with that phrase at the very end of that verse 6. It says, but David what? Strengthened himself in the Lord. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. That's the first point that I want to make as it relates to application. Whenever we're, whenever God is, whenever we're in a situation where we are distressed, are we drawing our strength from the Lord? Are we drawing our strength from the Lord? And in that coffee shop, when I read that scripture, and I was convicted because I wasn't drawing my strength from the Lord. I wasn't strengthening myself from the Lord. I, I was pressing more into a plan rather than the person. The word actually strengthen, it means to fasten upon, to seize, to bind, to fasten upon. And I think of oftentimes, please, um, you may want to stop this recording, I'm joking. But um, I think of many times when we're at the park with my kids and we're on the swings and they say, hey, daddy, can you, can, can you swing with me? And so I'll, I'll sit down. I'm, I'm sure some of you guys have done this, right? And the kids will sit, they'll sit on you, right? Some people are like, oh, don't do that. All right, but the kid, the, the, I remember the little kids, they would just hold me and squeeze me really, really tight. And I'll swing with them. Not too high because, you know, I don't want them to fall and, you know, and get, get in trouble and all that stuff. But that's the image that comes to my mind when I think of this word strengthen. It means to fasten upon, to seize, to bind. Do we have that posture and that approach when we're in, a, in the midst of a, of a, distressful, a distress, distressing situation? When we're in a, a situation maybe that it's, there's pain involved, there's heartache, there's agony, where you feel pressed, you feel narrow? Is your, is your response to strengthen yourself in the Lord, to, to fasten yourself upon him, to bind yourself upon him? You know, the reality, and maybe this is the case for you guys, I know it's the case for me. Sometimes, again, my tendency is, is not to press into Jesus. I want to try to control the situation. But our, our, te- our, our posture should be one to, to bind ourselves to press into Jesus. And so whatever this, wherever, where you're at, wherever you're at today, in terms of distress, if it's coming from others, if it's coming from God, if it's being self-inflicted, I want to encourage you to strengthen yourself in the Lord. The second point that I want to make as it relates to application, go back to Genesis chapter 32. Again, we, this is the story of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has his plan all together, right? He's going to separate the, the, the camp in terms, just in case Esau, you know, attacks one, he's able then to escape with the other. But look at how the, the rest of the passage finishes. Finishes. Look at verse 9. It says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. Here's Jacob. Look at, just, just make sure we focus on verse 12. Here's Jacob, and he says, But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring 
as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. When we're facing distressing situations, not only do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, but we, we depend on the promises of God. We depend on the promises of God. There's something about uh, a situation that is distressing, that, uh, that is, you feel, you know, again, narrow, you feel kind of just pushed into a corner where your focus is so, it's just so narrow. It's, it's just, you're just, you maybe you're just tunnel vision. You're looking, you're looking down. And in those moments, what God, think, what God wants us to do, he wants us to lift our eyes. He wants us to look, lift our eyes to him and to his promises. And so the question that I have for you guys this morning is, what, where are you at in your life and what promises are you forgetting? What promises are you not clinging to in the midst of whatever you're dealing with and, and, and going through? God wants us to, to remember his promises. And Jacob, he clings to the promises. He says, you were the one, you were the one who said you'll do good and make your offspring as a sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitudes. Two things, again, that we looked so far is we, we, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We depend on God's promises. And go back over to Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10. Whenever we are placed in a, a distressing situation, whether it's extreme as agony or pain, or maybe it's just maybe less severe as just a, something that's more you have discomfort. Um, I love what chapter 10 of Judges, what the, how the people respond in Judges chapter 10. So again, uh, we, we read in verse 9, let's start at verse 9. It says, And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And then verse 10, it says, And the people, they cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? Like, I've done all this saving. Haven't I done this for you? Right? Then the Sidians also and the Amorites and the Maronites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken and have served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead, and the people of Israel came together, and they encamped in Mizpah. And the people and the leaders of Gilgad said one to another, Who is this man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. In this situation, you know, God doesn't deliver them in this passage that we read. Eventually he will. Um, but one of the things that I, that I want to pick on as it relates to the, the children of Israel, they, they, they cried out to God, right? They cried out to God. And even though they cried out to God, God's like, listen, go, out, go ahead and cry to your little, the other gods you're serving, right? But let them deliver you from your distress. But I think that, doesn't, that didn't stop them from still crying out to God. And in the midst of our, our distressing situation, we need to continue to cry out to God. We need not only strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we need not only depend on his promises, but we need to cry out to, to him. Cry out to him. 
One more uh, passage I want to look at is over in James. And I'll, we'll, t- we'll touch on it in, in a second as I begin to wrap up. James chapter 1. The season that you guys may be going through maybe may not be a distressing sort of season. It may be very blissful. It may be very happy. It may be very, uh, God may be doing something different, all right? Uh, God may be have you on a different journey, and that's, that's cool. That's fine. Um, but there are people here that are dealing with uh, situations that are tough, situations that, are, that have involved heartache, agony, pain. Um, it's, it's a distressing situation. And as I encourage you guys, in that moment, that distress can come from, it can come from others, it can come from God, it can be self-inflicting. Regardless of where it comes from, our response should be to strengthen, to fasten ourselves to, to, to the Lord, to, to depend on his promises, and to continue to cry out to him. But the last thing that I want to encourage us is, is to not rush the season that God has you in. To not rush the season. There's a song my wife and I like to listen to, the God of the hills and the valleys. All right. Don't don't rush the season that God has you in. James chapter one is a verse that's a very famous verse that we often look at. We all know. I'm sure if you guys have memorized here because you go to Brantford and you guys do a lot of memory work. Right, John. Right. All right. Make sure you guys are still awake. All right. James chapter one. It says uh, in verse two, it says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or I think other versions say patience. And let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect. That's the key there. Have its full effect that you may be perfect, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let it, let it have its full effect. So often in our culture, we live in a microwave culture, right? We want everything instantaneously. And we don't know how to endure hardship. We don't know how to go through uh, distressing situations or discouraging times. We, we want to get out of it. We want to move through it. And I know that's the case that where I'm at, guys, I'm like, God, I want to get out of this already. I want to, I don't, it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. And God's like, there are things that I want to teach you that I can only teach you in this season. Don't rush this season. Let patience have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work. And one of the things... Um, as it relates to ministry that we've been wrestling through is regarding just the conversation about race and ethnicity. And that conversation is not easy. It is messy. As an organization, we're wrestling with that. And, and because of that, that's been a lot of the, the um, just the misunderstandings. That's been a lot of the um, uh, just tough conversations. It, that's been the bulk of our, the mess. There's other things too, but that's been so messy. People have, you know, uh, been misunderstood. People have been hurt. And as a leader, you're having to shepherd and lead all these. You're like, how do I even navigate all this? And it's messy. But through it, one of the things that God has been doing in my life, he's caused me to wrestle with my own story. He's caused me to wrestle through the things that, that my own upbringing. And as a result of it, I, I had the opportunity to write, um, to write a poem called, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's like, I am from poem. And I want to share that with you guys to kind of begin to wrap it up a little bit, share that the journey that God has me on, and then close up, close up with one final thought. So uh, this is an I am from poem, and I encourage you guys uh, to, to maybe do it someday by yourself, all right? 
Since I'm from the South Bronx, where abandoned buildings, vacant lots, and crack houses covered my landscape, from where discarded bed mattresses served as my makeshift trampoline, and from where dilapidated buildings became places of exploration. Here I learned the act of hustling by stealing car mechanic tools and selling it to other mechanics across town for enough money to buy Twinkies, cookies, and candies. I'm from a father that I've never met and know very little about. Was he black? Was he Dominican? I don't know. I'm from a Puerto Rican mother whose parents died while she was still an infant. A mother despised, despite her addictions to crack and alcohol, reinforced her love through a simple phrase, Yo te quiero con todo mi corazón. I love you with all my heart. I'm from a group of siblings whose lives were radically altered when, I, when just at eight years old we were whisked away from the streets of the South Bronx and placed into the foster care system. I'm from five foster care homes, five schools in six months, from questions of why to questions of how long. I'm from running away from foster care homes and long subway rides back to the Bronx to be with my siblings and favorite aunt, Fifi Evelyn. I'm from an adopted mother who opened her house to a little boy lost and hungry for love, affection, and stability. The same mom patient enough to let me throw fits and loving enough to rub my stomach when I ate too much candy. I'm from a home where my mom's choice object for discipline wasn't a belt or a wooden spoon, but her chancletas, flip-flops, that will get hurled at your, hurled in your direction at any moment's notice. I'm from a Spanish coach that loves to move their hips and express themselves loudly and passionately. There was never a dull moment when we gathered together for birthday parties or holiday celebrations. Always doing my best to fit, to dance salsa, but never quite getting it, nor never quite fitting in. I'm from the best city in the world, New York City, that raises you fast, teaches you to trust no one, and to walk quickly. A city that houses subways beneath your feet and the over two million rats who also call New York City their home. I'm from basketball, my first girlfriend. From cramming into Honda Civics to ride to tournaments, to being sent off to an all-white school in New Hampshire for four years of ball. Basketball, she, my girlfriend, kept me off the streets. She gave me opportunities. I'm from a little small church in Brooklyn that taught me to follow Jesus, serve others, and trust God with your scraps. What we lacked in finances or people, we made up in faith and prayer. I'm so broken in many ways, yet whole. So poor, yet rich. So blessed beyond words. So blessed beyond measures. I share that I am from poem. That's a poem that God has helped me to craft in this, this season that has been tough, a season when I've thought back on my, my life and the things that I've been through. Um, and your season, again, may look different. Um, your story may look different. Uh, but I do want to encourage us, wherever we find ourselves in this season of life, if the distress is coming from others, if it's coming from God, if it's, coming, if it's being self-inflicted, I want to encourage you guys, don't rush through this season. Don't rush through this season. God is doing something. God is doing something. Continue to strengthen yourself in him, continue to depend on his promises, continue to cry out to him, and continue to enjoy where God has you. Lord, I thank you again for this, this morning. I thank you that we get a chance to just to look at this little, this little word, God, um, that, can, um, that, can, that means many things, Lord, but uh, that also ultimately points us to you. God, I thank you for, um, again, for this, this morning, and I thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that the saints here uh, would continue, Lord, to cling to you, Lord. Continue to strengthen themselves in you in the midst of whatever they're, they're experiencing, Lord. We praise your son's name. Amen.